Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. There are many reasons for you Christians not to preach, so the world tells us. On the one hand, it could be because it's too judgmental. Well, don't preach at me. For others, they might say, well, wait a second, we live in a pluralistic world. Who are you to proclaim your word as the truth? And still others might say, you know what, it's just not polite for you to be preaching. Don't talk about religion and politics and all that sort of thing. There's lots of reasons that the world can give you why you should not preach, but they need to tell that to Jesus. Because here, Jesus says that this is the expressed reason why he came out. Now, in the last few weeks, we've been talking about these aspects of his mission, his mission made manifest. Just in the first movements of the gospel, we see Jesus gathering disciples and exercising demons, healing people, and all of these things are important and essential to his mission. But undergirding it all, the most foundational aspect to the kingdom of God is his proclamation of the gospel of God. This is why I came out, Jesus says, to preach. Now, I do want to make a little distinction here, though, because when we hear preaching, we might have a certain idea in mind that preaching is what the pastor does, like what I'm doing right now. It's being in a pulpit and proclaiming. But that's the word, actually, that I want to make a, a slight distinction with, which is proclaiming. See, when we hear preaching, I think it brings some other baggage with it, as we suggested. Some of it is negative and some of it is more neutral. It's just the idea that this is a very specialized task. But the word that's used here literally means to proclaim, to announce publicly. It's not just talking about a pastor in a pulpit. It's talking about anytime, anywhere, the people of God are announcing the glad good news of salvation in Christ Jesus. This is what it means to proclaim. And in that sense, the whole world is our pulpit. Anywhere and everywhere is an opportunity, a possible place where we might bear witness to the good news of God. So that is the, the calling on us as Christians. And as I say, some would say that there's plenty of reasons why you and I should not be proclaiming the gospel. But what I want to do this morning is to give you three reasons why we as Christians do. In fact, why we can't help ourselves but proclaim this glad good news. And I want to describe these reasons as the upper, the outer, and the inner. The upper, the outer, and the inner. I'm going to start with the upper reason. The upper reason is the reason that comes directly from God, which is to say it is our divine directive that God has said to go out and to preach the good news. We are simply following in the footsteps of our Lord Jesus when we proclaim the gospel because this is what God has said to do. You think of the words of our Lord Jesus, the last words of our Lord Jesus. So all of Jesus' words bear weight with us, but especially those last words at his ascension. You remember this? He has the apostles gathered around him, and right before he ascends to the right hand of the Father, he says, and now you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. And embedded in those words of Jesus are both a command and a promise. It's a command, first of all. Jesus is saying, go out into Jerusalem and to Judea and Samaria and all the ends of the earth and preach this glad good news. It's not optional for you as Christians. That This is what we do. We testify to what God has done in Christ Jesus. It is a command. It is a divine directive. But notice that it's also a promise. I think Jesus phrased it in particularly in this way so that we would hear it in both ways. 
You will be my witnesses, command. But you will be my witnesses, promise. In other words, as you go about your life, you will be testifying and bearing witness to what God has done in Jesus. Sometimes whether you know it or not, God is using you. He is speaking in you and through you to bear witness to what he has done. And so we hold both of those together and recognize that this is that upper reason why we proclaim. Because we have that command. We have that promise. And furthermore, it's rooted in the very character of God. And what I mean by that is we have a speaking God. Robert Kolb, the theologian Robert Kolb, says that we have a God of conversation and community. That God is always proclaiming. He's always announcing good news. And in doing so, he is gathering together a community, a family of his people. And so when you and I proclaim the gospel, we're following in the footsteps of our Lord Jesus, yes, but we are bearing witness to the very character of who our God is. He is not silent. It is not quiet coming out of heaven, but instead we have a speaking God, a God of conversation and community who then sends us forth with his command and with his promise. You also proclaim this good news to the world. That's the first reason why we as Christians proclaim the gospel. It's that upper reason, because God says so, because he's given us his promise. But the second reason is this, what I call the outer reason, which is to say, the reason that our neighbors need it because of the human need of our world. We're like uh, an ice cream man in the middle of summer. Hard to imagine right now, but think about it. Summer will come. It's like the ice cream man in the middle of summer surrounded by all sorts of hungry kids who desperately need it. Of course, to put it that way, some people will say, well, wait a second, wait a second. You Christians are proclaiming your good news as though it were the only truth that everybody else needs the ice cream that you offer. Well, guess what? Not everybody likes ice cream. Okay, that's probably not true. Everybody likes ice cream, but you might have your flavor. You might have your flavor of the truth, but other people have their flavor of the truth, and everybody's got their different flavor, and who are you to say that it can only be mint chocolate chip? This is the... right. This is the objection that is commonly made to us as Christians. And I think that we need to be sensitive to it, that we need to understand it, and to recognize that we're not being prideful or boastful. It's not like we have some kind of prop proprietary uh, property on the gospel. We say, well, we have the truth. It belongs to us Christians. And if you want some of this truth, you're going to have to come to me. It's not like that at all. It's not that we have the truth. It's that we know the truth. We testify to it as God has revealed, to it, revealed it to us in Christ Jesus. But it's not just ours. It's ours to share, to recognize that this truth is the property of all people, that ultimately God desires all people to come to a knowledge of this truth. It's hard to do. This can be difficult for us in our 21st century pluralistic culture to proclaim the gospel, but we need to recognize that ultimately Every person is seeking it, whether they know it or not. I think back to, um, I was in one of my classes in college at Michigan State, one of my sociology classes, which was not usually a bastion of Christian faithfulness, right? And uh, I recall this time, I'm in the class, I can't even remember what it was, sociology of the family or something like that. And the teacher, who had made it clear where his stances were and that he was not a believer in any conventional sense, 
he decided that this was the day he was going to draw a line in the sand. And to be honest, I don't even remember what the topic was. It was some kind of uh, morality sort of thing. And he asked everybody to stand up. And he said, here's the issue, blah, blah, blah. If you are on this side of the issue, which was clearly where I, as a Christian, ought to be, then you go stand over on that side of the room. And for those of you who are on this side of the issue, you go stand on the other side of the room. He was literally asking people to vote with their feet. And there I am sitting in my seat thinking, oh, I know what I'm supposed to say as a Christian. I know where I stand on this issue, but um, I'm not sure that I want to stand up in front of all these people and do it. And sure enough, folks are getting out of their seat and they're all going over to the side that the professor was clearly wanting everyone to go to, except for one guy. Ralph. And Ralph was what we used to call a mature student, right? He was a guy who was middle-aged and had come, had come back to college. He might have actually been a preacher down in Detroit. I knew he came from the city, but I'm not sure exactly what his line of work was. But Ralph, he got up without hesitation and went to the other side of the room. And when I saw him, I said, okay, if Ralph is going to do it, I can follow him. So I got up and with a little bit of uh, hesitation, I went over and joined him. Well, after the class, I wouldn't grab Ralph because I was still just kind of floored by this whole thing. I couldn't believe that the professor did that, asked us to stand up, walk to one side of the room so that I could invite all the scorn of my fellow classmates. It, it turned out okay. But I asked Ralph, I was like, Ralph, how did you do that? You didn't hesitate at all. You were so confident. You just got right up and walked over there. And I'll never forget what he said to me. Two things. First thing he says is, he says, you know what, Ryan? You will never do wrong by standing with the truth. You will never do wrong by standing with the truth. And the other thing he said to me was this. He said, and you know what? I believe that every person who is genuinely seeking the truth will ultimately fall down at the feet of Jesus Christ. Every person who is genuinely seeking the truth will ultimately fall down at the feet of Jesus Christ. Now you might quibble with that a little bit, but I can say that in the years since, in studying the scriptures, in studying people, I found that to be the case. That for those who are genuinely seeking the truth, ultimately what they are seeking is Jesus himself, who is the way and the truth and the life. So when we proclaim the gospel of God, when we get to be like the ice cream man with all the hungry people, we're not just offering one flavor. We're offering all the flavors that ultimately are found and founded in Jesus himself. So that's the second reason why we proclaim the good news. Because that outer reason, because of human need. Because they desperately need it and are seeking it, whether they know it or not. Then the third and final reason I want to submit to you is what I call the inner reason. Which is to say that personal inner drive and compulsion. And I'll tell you... There's something self-serving about this, though I like to think that it's a sanctified selfishness. And I'll show you what I mean by that. Um, you know, back in the days when we used to fly on planes more regularly, and uh, I would go on a plane ride, and this happens, you know, I'm sitting in the a plane, I got somebody next to me, and then inevitably the question that they ask you is what? Well, what do you do for a living? And pastors aren't always real fond of getting that question because they say, oh, I'm a pastor. That just shuts up the conversation right away. Incidentally, if I want to be left alone or I want to take a nap, I can just tell them, I'm a pastor, and then I don't have to worry about it. 
But a couple years back, uh, I, some, uh, somebody else gave me this idea of what to say instead. They asked, what do you do for a living? And I say, well, I deliver good news. They say, well, wait a second, you can get paid for that? Delivering good news? Because who doesn't love giving good news, right? My brother, he's always the one who's text messaging me whenever there's some kind of good news that he wants to share. When Matt Stafford got traded last week, he viewed this as good news. Immediately, he broke the news to me, right? He's always the one who wants to deliver good news because who doesn't love to deliver good news? It's a selfish thing. We love it. It's joyful to do that. How do you get paid to deliver good news? Yeah, it's kind of a good deal, actually. See, because there's something about doing that, about giving good news, that ultimately, it's great for us. How can we but do that? This is just what we heard Paul say in the epistle lesson today. He says, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Necessity is laid on me. What he's saying is, I can't do otherwise. Because I have received this, I can't help but want to share it with others. It blesses me. The prophet Jeremiah says in the Old Testament that I have, as it were, a fire burning in my bones. I have to let it out. Otherwise, I'm going to spontaneously combust. He doesn't say that, but that's the implication, right? I want to get those words out. And St. John, he takes it even further. In 1 John, in the, the first letter of John, he puts it this way. He says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. And why, John says? In order, many translations put it this way, in order that your joy may be complete, which is true. This is what Jesus says, that your joy may be complete. Many translations put it that way. But that's not actually what John wrote. What John wrote was in order that our joy might be complete. And many translators just kind of wuss out at that point. They think that sounds too self-serving. He must have meant so that your joy can be complete. But no. I think John understood this very acutely. Yes, we want your joy to be full. We want you to know the knowledge of the truth. But ultimately, ultimately, the reason that we proclaim, it's a selfish one. Because it brings us that greater joy and satisfaction. As Christians proclaiming the glad good news of the gospel, we are joy mongers, right? We're like those guys in Seattle at the fish market, if you've ever seen that or been there, where they're hucking fish around, and it's like they're having the best time in the world. It's like being able to deliver good news. That's our job and our calling as Christians, so that our joy might be complete. We proclaim the gospel. And look, I know that some of you might want to say to me at this point, Pastor, this all sounds well and good for you preachers, preaching in the pulpit. You know what you're doing. You know, you know what to say. And so for you, it's joyful. But for me, I'm just not confident that I actually can do it. I'm not sure that I'm like St. Paul and that it is a fire burning in my bones that I have to do it. I'm not sure that I can. Well, I want you to hear again those words of the hymn we sang just a moment ago. If you cannot speak like angels, if you cannot preach like Paul, you can tell the love of Jesus. You can say he died for all. If you cannot rouse the wicked with the judgment's dread alarms, you can lead the little children to the Savior's waiting arms. Friends, as my wife sometimes says, this isn't rocket surgery. <laughs> We're simply called to testify to God's boundless love in Jesus. And guess what? In doing so, it brings us the greatest joy. What a job to deliver good news. And it's not just for me. It's for us all. Amen.
And may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand to confess our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed.